soon and very soon. We are going to see the king soon and very soon and very soon. We are going to see the king soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. And we're singing hallelujah, hallelujah. We are going to see the king. Just say no more crying there. We are going to see the king. No more crying. No more crying there. We are going to Say no more dying there. We are going to see the king. No more dying. No more dying there. We are going to see the king. No more dying there. We are going to see the king. And we sing it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are going to see the king. And we sing it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are going to see the king. Are we singing hallelujah, hallelujah? We are going to see the king. Family, at this time, I'm going to ask that we stand together and uh, we're going to sing a call and response song. Well said, my evangelist. Well said, my evangelist. Well said, my evangelist. Pull me aside, he told me this. Pull me aside and told me this. He put that songbook in my hand. He put that songbook in my hand. I'm gonna make you a singing man. I'm gonna make you a singing man. 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 My evangelist pulled me aside, he told me this. Pulled me aside and told me this. He put the Bible in my hand. He put the Bible in my hand. I'm gonna make you a preaching man. I'm gonna make you a preaching man. A preaching man. A preaching man. A singing man. A singing man. We'll see my evangelist. We'll see my evangelist. Side, he told me this. Put me aside and told me this. He put that wallet in my hand. He put that wallet in my hand. I'm gonna make you a giving man. I'm gonna make you a giving man. A giving man. A giving man. A preaching man. A preaching man. A singing man. A singing man. We'll see my evangelist. We'll see my evangelist. Side, he told me this. Put me aside and told me this. Put that towel in my hand. He put that towel in my hand. I'm gonna make you a serving man. I'm gonna make you a serving man. A serving man. A serving man. A giving man. 
God-given man, a preaching man, a preaching man, a singing man, a singing man. Well, say my evangelist, well, say my evangelist. Pulled me aside, he told me this. Pulled me aside and told me this. He put the music in my hand. Put the music in my hand. I'm gonna make you a dancing man. I'm gonna make you a dancing man. A dancing man. A dancing man. A preaching man. A preaching man. A giving man. A giving man. A serving man. A serving man. A preaching man. A preaching man. A loving man. A loving man. A singing 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 man. I sing amen. I sing amen. Well, said my evangelist. Amen. You may be seated. Let's stand on up. Stand back up. Stand back up. Don't be sitting down. I want you to look at the person right next to you and say, hey, you're super, super, super awesome. And, oh, wait, 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 hold on a second. I said just your left, just your left, just your left. Now look at the person on your right and say, dude, you are, you are super, super, super awesome. And then shake it all out. Shake it all out. Just shake it all out. Let's have a seat. Uh, thank you so much, Shanique, for sharing for communion. It was so great to hear your story, and uh, uh, we've been friends with the man for a number of years now, and there's so much that uh, I, I didn't even know about your, your life and your past, and thank you for sharing that and really connecting it to the cross and what, what Jesus did for us or what God did for us through his son. Uh, thank you, Logan, for sharing for contribution. Thank you so much. It's always nice whenever people broadcast my own personal financial situation, so I appreciate you sharing about my, my bank account, it's always appreciated. You know, it's, it's funny, I was, I was thinking earlier, uh, even today, uh, somebody shared with me about uh, their age. Or, or they said, you know, I recently was in high school, and I was like, when was that? And it was like two years ago. And I was like, wow, like I graduated from high school all the way back in 2001, and man, did I feel old. And it's funny, as I was thinking about different generations and, and different children of different generations. And really, you know, every generation has their different way of insulting people. You know, back in, in Bible times, uh, in Jesus' time, if you said raka to someone, I mean, that was like, whoa, you better chill out. Right now, most of us don't even know what that word means, right? Raka, okay, what, is, what does the Bible say something about raka here? You know, when, when I was growing up, the worst insult that you could ever say to somebody was your mama. Your mom. I mean, you, you can say a lot of different things. But when you start talking about somebody's mama, that's, that's where the line gets drawn. Right? Don't you be talking about my mama. And so I was thinking about what I would call my sermon for today. And I decided that the title of the lesson this morning is Your Mama. Your Mama. Turn your Bible to John chapter 19. We're going to talk about your mama today. John chapter 19, I hope you guys are ready to get into the word of God. 
I hope your stomach isn't growling yet or you're not thinking about lunch. You're not thinking about other things, things that distract you. You're not checking your clock and, and asking yourself when this big old tall white guy is going to end his sermon. John 19, verse 23. Right here we find Jesus in such a pivotal moment. Not only in his own life, but really a pivotal moment in human history. It's when he was on the cross. And the Bible says in verse 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mama. That's, that's the Evan Bartholomew translation. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You know, right here we find that, that as Jesus was there hanging on the cross, you can just imagine the gravity of this moment and the emotion that was all around the cross. And there Jesus is, stuck, confined to the cross. And the Bible says that he looks down and sees that the soldiers were gambling, casting lots for his seamless garment. Then you go, well, well why, why does John record this little you know, section of scripture? We, we, we believe that everything in the Bible has purpose. Right? It's not like God was just doodling with the Bible, right? He didn't just throw things in there randomly or, or put some extra added dad jokes in there for fun. Like everything that the Bible says has purpose. It has meaning. There's something that God wanted us to get out of the scriptures. And so I studied out, what, what, why did Jesus record, why does the Bible record that they gambled for his seamless garments? Like what was so special about these seamless garments that seemed evidently so important that they didn't even want to tear them? and split them up amongst the four of the soldiers that were there. But they wanted to keep the garments together. Well, one, we know that it was to fulfill prophecy. In Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, the Bible said that they would gamble for the clothes of the, the man who would sacrifice himself for the world. That they would divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Is that cranking right there? That that prophecy had to be fulfilled. Secondly, this is kind of an interesting little side note right here. But according to Exodus 28, verse 31, only high priests wore seamless garments. And so very purposefully, John records that Jesus had seamless garments because Jesus was the great high priest of modern times. You with me on that? But thirdly, and I think this one is, you know, a little bit... Um, not based in, in fact, as it is much in, in tradition. You know, uh, it was tradition for those that were serving in the role of high priest, for their mothers to make their seamless garment for them. Well, well that would make sense. 
if Mary actually made this garment for Jesus. Because then it adds to the gravity. It adds to the emotion of the moment as she's watching Jesus on the cross. And then she looks down and she sees soldiers gambling for the very clothes that she made her son. And that possibly could explain why Jesus saw her. And even though he was in pain and agony, his heart went out to his mom. And he goes, woman, here's your son, pointing to John the disciple. And then he goes back to John and he goes, John, disciple, here is your mother. Here is your mother. I've got four points for us this morning. Our first point, love your mama. Love your mama. Don't you just love your mama? You know, you know, you all, you all have a mama? You all have a mom? And regardless of, of what those moms may be like, they brought you into this world, and they can take you out, right? No, they can take you out. But you know, it's amazing right here that Jesus loved his mom. And contrary to many people's beliefs, Mary wasn't perfect. In fact, turn your Bible with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. You see, no mom is perfect. Are you with me on that? No mom is perfect. I know that moms all want to be perfect, and they put a lot of pressure on themselves, but no mom is perfect. In Mark chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. Well, they said, he's out of his mind. You know, right here we find that Jesus goes into a house, and this is likely a, a kind of like a Bible talk situation. And let's just say Jesus cranked his Bible talk, right? I mean, there they are. They go into the house. Jesus is preparing his Bible talk. And so many people come on out to Bible talk that the Bible says that there's no way the disciples could even eat. You know, possibly it's because there was no space to eat. But more likely than that, all the food went to the visitors, to the guests. See, they weren't like some of the brothers that just helped themselves first before all the guests get there, right? They, they practice hospitality, and they loved up on those non-Christian visitors, and they brought them out to Bible talk. They go, hey, we want you guys to eat first. So much so that there wasn't enough room, there wasn't enough food for his disciples to eat. That's an awesome Bible talk right there, is it not? Yeah, I was reading this, and I couldn't help but to think about the Ryerson Bible talk. We started the, the, the Ryerson Bible Talk back in October, November last year, and they started out with just a, a small little handful of them. And I went to their first Bible Talk, and it was kind of grungy, right? Like, we were, we were in the basement, uh, like nobody had been down in the basement of this building for a long time, or at least it didn't seem like that. And we were moving, moving furniture around and <coughs> trying to get ourselves situated. And there was only a, just a small little group. And a couple weeks ago, I went on campus to Ryerson, and it's so cool to see. I think they had 25 people out to Bible talk that day. <laughs> Truly, when you're like Jesus, you're going to crank your Bible talk. And it's so cool to see the Ryerson Bible talk really cranking it on campus. But the Bible says right here that when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said he's out of his mind. Your family ever think about that? Think like that about you? Oh, this Dylan guy giving up a career to be in a ministry where he gets paid peanuts? He's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. 
Getting all zealous about God's word. That girl Miriam, she's putting together this Instagram, you know, little event right there. You know, putting herself out there like that. Putting herself out there like that. She's all professional. I mean, what's that going to do to her credibility? She out of her mind. Loga men, Loga men sacrificing all that money, getting rid of all his investments. He goes, I got nothing left. It's just me and Loga men. He out of his mind. Bringing up two kids without a, a solid financial plan or without this big old safety net in his bank account. Anybody ever think that you out of your mind for being Christian? Well, right here the Bible says that Mary thought that of Jesus. Now keep in mind that an angel showed up to Mary and said, hey, you are going to give birth to a Messiah. She was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And yet she failed to believe in her own son. You know, it's always interesting to hear people believe that, that Mary is perfect. And if you don't know where that comes from, it's because in the th about 300 A.D. in the Catholic Church, a guy by the name of Augustine created a doctrine called original sin. And that's the idea that sin can pass from parent to child. Right? And it's the justification that they use to baptize little babies. See, this baby needs to get baptized because they have their parents' sin transferred onto them. Of course, Ezekiel 18.20 makes that very clear, that sin does not transfer. It's you don't get no rollover sin, right? If you don't use that sin, you don't get rollover minutes, right? Like it's just, you only get your own sin, you're held accountable for your own sin. But because they believe in original sin, and they believe that Jesus is perfect, they go, well, if Jesus is perfect and there's original sin, well, what does that say about his mother, Mary? And therefore, in the Catholic Church, Mary in some ways is deified, right? Hail Mary, full of grace, etc. And it's because they believe in this concept of original sin. Mary was far from perfect. Far from perfect. She didn't believe in Jesus. And she should have believed in Jesus perhaps more than anybody else. Go down to verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, whoever does God's will, is my brother and sister and mother. Ooh, oh, wow. Oh, you just, feel the, you just feel the pain for Mary right there. I mean, there she goes to take charge of Jesus. Somebody goes to tell Jesus, hey, your, your mom and brother's outside. I mean, what do you imagine should have happened or could have happened? Like, hey, mom, it's great to have you at your Bible talk. But what does Jesus do? They ain't my mama. That's not my those are not my brothers. Those are not my sisters. Those who obey God, those who do God's will, those are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. Now he doesn't say father because we know Jesus only had one father. Amen. <laughs> you know it's very interesting. But in Luke chapter eight verse twenty one, the Bible says, "My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice." And so the implication of Scripture right here is that Jesus' mother Mary and brothers were not putting God's word into practice. See, they, they had to have heard God's word. They were surrounded by Jesus. Their entire lives they heard Jesus. He was teaching in the temple at 12 years old. He was there. He was preaching the word. He let them know what was, the, what was real, what was not the truth. He taught them from the Scriptures. And yet the Bible says, although they heard it, they didn't put it into practice. Start thinking Jesus was crazy. 
You know, one of the hardest forms of persecution is persecution from family. You know, here in North America, we, we probably receive this type of persecution more than almost any other persecution. You know, the Bible, Bible makes very clear, 2 Timothy 3.12, that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted, right? The only way to avoid persecution as a Christian is to not be a Christian. And so if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to live a godly life, then you're going to be persecuted. Not a question of whether you are or are not. It's a question of how badly you will be persecuted and how frequently that persecution will come. Well, you know, in many places in the world, persecution means physically getting beat up, physically being put to death, etc. That, that's not really our culture here in North America. Praise God for that. Right? Nobody's coming in here with AK-47s and threatening Shema to give up his faith or they're going to kill him. Praise God for that, right? You guys fired up about that? And that's great. That's awesome. You go, well, what are, what are some forms of persecution that are more common for us in North America? Well, we get slandered on the Internet. Right? We, we do not have a good Yelp report here as a church. Right? We don't have good Yelp ratings. Why? Because we're doing something wrong? No, because we're Christians, and that's what happens when you're living like Christians. They hated Jesus, and Jesus was perfect. That's not to say that we're perfect, but we're going to be persecuted as Christians. But what makes persecution really challenging is when it comes from your family. Right? When mom or dad or brother or sister, when they start accusing you, when they start, quote, taking charge of you, thinking that they're, you're out of your mind, that can hurt us. That can hurt us. And it's in those times that we need to remember, who are my mother and brothers? It is those who do the will of God that are my brother, my sister, and my, my mother. You know, I'll never forget, back in Hawaii, I was studying the Bible with this guy. And we got all the way through the Bible studies, and it was the last Bible study. And he was supposed to get baptized that night. So I'm sitting there, and, and our last Bible study, typically before someone gets baptized, is counting the cost. And so I'm counting the cost with them, and all of a sudden, in the middle of our study, my phone rings. Well, I'm in the middle of a study, and so I don't answer it, but it rings again, and it rings again. And usually, if, if something is serious, you know, if I, somebody calls me three, four times in a row, I, I go, okay, i got to pick up. So I pick up the phone, and the guy on the other end goes, is this Evan Bartholomew? Uh, yes, yes, it is. He goes, are you studying the Bible with Bryson Okuno? I go, yes, I am. <laughs> Looking around like is somebody watching me, you know, somewhere. And, and he goes, well, that's my son, and I would like you to stop studying the Bible with him right now. We've taught him a certain way to live, and we do not want him to become a Christian. I go, well, sir, I'm sorry to say that that's not really my call. That's your son's call. As a preacher, I'm obligated to teach someone who wants to hear the word of God. He goes, hand the phone over to him. Hand the phone over to him. Yes? No. Yeah. No. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Hangs up. How did it go? Because, well, he said that if I get baptized tonight, I've got to find somewhere else to live. He's going to cut me off. He was paying for my school. He was paying for a school at that time. So he goes, he's going to cut me off financially. And he's not going to support me anymore. I go, amen, bro. That's, that's tough, man. I'm sorry to hear that. 
What do you want to do? Because, well, the way I see it is I could either follow God or I could follow my dad. I'm getting baptized tonight. Yeah. Look at this. He gets baptized that night. I take him home because you don't know if his parents are really serious. So I take him home. Sure enough, his dad had changed the locks on the door. <laughs> so he couldn't get into his own house. I go, don't worry about it. Come sleep at my house. He slept over on my couch that night. In the morning, we get a call from the police. Uh, excuse me, uh, is this Evan Barthol? Second time in two days. Yes. Is there someone around you named Bryson? I go, yeah, he's on my couch right now. Okay, well, he's been reported kidnapped. <laughs> I kid you not. I go, Bryson, you're not going to believe this. Your dad reported you kidnapped. He goes, kidnapped? I'm not even a kid anymore. <laughs> Long story short, he was completely cut off. His dad went into his bank account, took out all the money that he had in his bank account, and pulled it out for himself. He, was, he was, had no money for college, no job, nowhere to live. Within one week, he was living at the brother's household, had a full-time job, and was back in school. It gets even better. It gets even better. He had a sister. She hated, he twin sister, she hated him, for, and she hated me. Well, I didn't really even know much about his sister. We, we had moved on and been to another ministry. Two years later, we came back to Hawaii uh, for a visit, and we're there in the church, and this girl comes up to me, and she goes, hey, are you Evan Bartholomew? I was like, yeah, this is sound familiar. She goes, hey, uh, I'm Liz. I go, okay. She goes, I used to hate you. Thanks. She goes, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I'm Bryson's sister. And at first, I hated you for, for the way that you influenced my, my brother and how he left the house and all those different things. But you know what? I eventually started studying the Bible, and I became a Christian. And so I'm so grateful that you reached out to my baby brother and got him saved. Now, believe it or not, his dad eventually even came to church. We got him to come to church, amen? You, you never know what can happen when you stand firm in your faith and you embrace the fact that it's really those who follow God who are our mother, brother, and sisters, amen? Go back to John 19. John 19. Verse 26. This is when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. You know, given the, the very last scripture that we read, this almost seems like a reversal in Jesus' position. He goes, who are my mother? It's those that obey. But now he goes, hey, hey, John, here's your mom. Mom, here's John. And so by implication, we can see right here that Jesus saw that Mary had changed. Jesus didn't change his position. Mary had changed her position. Go to Acts chapter 1. Verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walked from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined constantly together in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. 
it's amazing what happens. That Jesus, by holding his ground, but, but, but ultimately loving his mom, ends up changing and convicting her heart. And his mom ends up becoming a Christian. Not only his mom, but even Jesus' brothers changed, repented, and became our brothers in Christ. Amen? You know, when I first became a disciple, my, my mom persecuted me. She was always the religious one in my family. And yet, uh, after I became a Christian and after my older brother had become a Christian, we radically changed. And she was convinced that we were in a cult. Why was she convinced that? Because this change was not something that she had seen before. Not only that, but her pastor told her, hey, that group's a cult. She's, they're in a cult. And so for a couple of weeks, she believed that we were in some kind of crazy cult, sacrificing chickens or doing seances in the weekends or something. And then, after a couple of weeks, she goes, you know, I don't, I don't believe or agree with them, but I don't believe they're in a cult because they've really changed. <laughs> I mean, we were partying all the time. We were a mess. We were just rotten people, and we've genuinely changed. So she goes, I don't agree, but they're not in a cult. That said, we couldn't even bring up religion around my mom. She would just shut it down. There was a 20-foot wall, of just and she'd block us. Seven years later, Christmas morning, she couldn't get out of bed because she knew she needed a change. She asked my wife and my sister-in-law, who had also become a disciple, to go in there and read Scripture to her. They read Scripture to her. She studied the Bible in three days' time. My mom became a sold-out disciple of Jesus Christ. And my mom is still holding it down there in Hawaii. She's faithful to this day, man. you got to love your mama, point number one. Point number two, you got to love your spiritual mamas. Your spiritual mamas. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. you got any spiritual mamas in the house right here? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but extort him as he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. You know, right here, Paul is instructing Timothy on how to lead the church at Ephesus. He goes, you don't, you don't rebuke an older man harshly. Now, that doesn't mean you don't rebuke an older man. He just goes, make sure it's not harsh. Why? Because you've you got to treat older men as though your father. You, you would never speak like that to your father. But he goes, in the kingdom, you've got to have spiritual fathers. He goes, treat younger men as brothers. Amen, brothers. I mean, it's just cool to have brothers in the family. Some of us, we didn't grow up with brothers. I grew up with two brothers. And both of my brothers are disciples. Isn't that cranky? So I got brother brothers. And then I got the brothers. I'm fired up. Paul says treat younger women as sisters. But you got to be careful because you can get a little bit weird in those relationships. So it adds on that little side note with absolute purity. You know, in the Greek, you know what the word absolute means? Absolute purity. That means there's got to be caution, and we've got to set things up correctly and make sure that we really protect our sisters and, and treat them with respect as our sisters with purity as God's daughters. And finally, the Bible says you got to treat older women as mothers. You see, in the church, 
in the church, we're not just the army of God. We are the army of God, but we're not just the army of God. We are the family of God as well. You know, so awesome on Tuesday night to see Joseph Bailey get baptized. And when Joseph came out of that water, he not only had his sins forgiven. I mean, there's, there's a lot of forgiveness right there. Amen. He was very fired up. He was forgiven of all of those sins. And then all of those other ones, too. <laughs> then the Bible says we also get to get the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. Right? God gives us his spirit. He gives us a part of himself to guide us, to strengthen us, to help us in our walk with him. And then finally, the Bible says we become part of this worldwide team, this worldwide family. Isn't that awesome? That we get to be spiritual family with one another. Go to Romans 16. Romans 16. In verse 13, right here, Paul is going through those that he knew in the church in Rome. Now, it's quite amazing because many would see Paul as being a, a male chauvinist of sorts. That's kind of the reputation that Paul gets from the scripture. And yet, in this scripture, nine of those that he greeted or you could say saluted were women. Paul had great relationships with sisters in the church. He, he was absolutely not a male chauvinist. And isn't it awesome that we've got a Women's Day coming up to really celebrate the women in the church? Well, look at verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, and his mother, who has become a mother to me too. Isn't that cool? Paul had a spiritual mom in the church. Now, now the Bible says that she became a mom to Paul. You know, I think too often we want to have these spiritual siblings or these relationships in the church, and we think that by just calling them something, it makes them that way. Like, hey, Kelly, hey, you're going to be my mom in the faith. Okay. I didn't really sign up for that, but okay. Or, hey, you're going to be my dad in the faith, or you're going to be my sister. We're going to be close. No, calling somebody your mom in the faith or dad in the faith does not make them your mom in the faith or dad in the faith. Right here, Paul's mother in the faith became his mother in the faith through her relationship with Paul. She supported Paul's working in the ministry. Now, a cool little side note right here. Rufus is likely the son of Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross. And so most likely, Simon of Cyrene becomes a disciple. His kids, Alexander and Rufus, become a disciple. And his wife, uh, Rufus' mother, becomes a disciple. At this time, most likely, Simon the Cyrene died. And so his mother latched on to Paul as a son in the faith. And that's what helped her, but it also helped Paul to have a mom in the faith. You know, one of the sisters that I love in the church is, is Maria. You know, I was, I was hanging out last week with a couple of the guys over here, and we were talking, and she walks up, and she just walks right through them, and she comes up to me, and she gives me a big old hug. And I go, hey, what's up, sis? What's up, Maria? And she goes, no, 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 no. Bro, it's Mama Maria. Mama Maria. I go, I'm sorry, Mama Maria. Mama Maria. It's awesome to have spiritual moms in the church. You with me on that? But you know, sometimes I think what happens in the church is those that are older get frustrated and embittered because there's too much attention and focus going to the younger ministries. You guys relate to that? How come, how come we don't get any full-time ministry people in our Bible talk? How come we never get to go up in front of church and share? 
And it's true. There's a greater attention given to the younger ministries. You go, why? Because, get this, this is an amazing principle. You know what happens to campus students who graduate from campus or from university? They become singles. They become singles. You know what happens to singles when they start dating each other? And then they, they escalate in their relationship? They get married. And then they go into the marriage ministry. And so from the campus, you get singles and you get married. You would be on that? So you can build every ministry from the campus ministry. But you know, you can't do it the other way around. You can't get like 30 married guys and go to campus. That's just not right. You with me on that? But you know, we, we get frustrated and we get embittered because we don't understand our role in the church. Our role is not to be, not to be the ones that are getting all the attention and are up, up on, on that front line on campus. Our role is to become spiritual parents to those that are and to be fathers and mothers in the faith. And so the challenge for our older generation Christians is simply this. Woman, here's your son. Woman, here's your son. Embrace the younger disciples as your spiritual children. You go, what about those younger guys? I've been trying to build a relationship with them, but they are so prideful. They are so prideful. They just think they know everything. Yeah, welcome to spiritual parenting. 101. And it's true, because in the younger ministries, there's an immaturity that we don't even realize that we have. You, you don't know what you don't know. You with me on that? You do not know. Let me just run that by you one more time because I can see everybody's faces going, what? You do not know what you do not know. You don't know what you don't know. And you've got to embrace the fact that God has put spiritual parents in your life to advise you, to guide you, to help you, and they've been there before. That's why you need their help because you've never been there before. You can take anybody. I'm in my third year in school. You've never been there before. But somebody in the church has, and they can help you learn how to navigate your walk with God in that stage. And so your challenge as a younger ministry is, son, here is your mother. Daughter, here is your mother or father. You've got to embrace the spiritual parents that God has put in your life. Yes, we've got to love your mama, but you've got to love your spiritual mama too. Our third point is we've got to learn to love each other like your mama. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, nobody loves as purely and genuinely as a mama. You with me on that? I mean, dads, we get all over the place. We start focusing on paying the bills, right? right we just got to make sure the lights are on. We got to make sure that food's on the table, that there's provi provisions for the family. Moms, they're the ones that are, like, in tune with their kids' needs. Like, hey, so-and-so is struggling at school today. I think he's having a hard time with this. You're like, huh? What? I, I, didn't, I didn't even see that. Yeah, because as dads, we're not as in tune with our kids' needs. You with me on that? First Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without result. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. You know, this is an amazing scripture. Sometimes as disciples, we think results will come when the circumstances are right. Right? It's an issue of circumstance. 
Like when all the seas are smooth, that's when we're going to catch all the fish. Our Bible talk's going to be fruitful, and if it's not fruitful, it's because the circumstances are messed up. They're wrong. No, no, Paul goes, in the face of opposition. Although we've been treated outrageously, we dared to share the gospel, and it was not without result. You see, results come not because of circumstance, but when you have the courage to fight in spite of circumstance. You know, I appreciate the fact that right now we're collecting a special missions contribution. We decided on a special missions contribution, and then what happened? Inflation. I mean, Logan was being generous when he said 6.7%. I think it's actually worse. The gas prices from two years ago to now have doubled. I know, because it used to cost me $60 to fill up my tank. I, I, I just paid the other day $120. In the middle of special missions contribution. Some people are even saying we're, we're, we're tinkering on the edge of recession. What a terrible time to have a special missions contribution. But that's always the case. It's not when circumstances are favorable. It's to have the courage, despite the circumstances, and to keep on preaching the word of God. And then and only then will God give us the results. Verse 6. We were not looking for, for praise from people. Not from you or anyone else. Even though as Apostle Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like long, young children among you. Check it out. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You know, not only did Paul preach the gospel in spite of severe opposition, but the Bible says that he preached the gospel and shared his life as well. You know, one of the things that's always just blown me away is the life of the prophets of the Old Testament. I mean, you study out these guys' lives. I mean, wow, it's intense. I mean, Ezekiel had to cook his food over excrement. He had to lay on his side for like a year, all to make a spiritual point to the people of God. I mean, Isaiah, just a little graphic, but he had to wear clothes cut off at the buttocks. To make a spiritual analogy for the people. I, I could go on and on and on. It's crazy what these prophets of the Old Testament had to do as God called them to serve him. You go, well, why did they, why did they live such extreme, radical lives? Because their life was the message. Their life was the message. It wasn't just about reading words on paper. They had to live it out. And their life had just as much of an impact as the words that they preached. And so Paul goes, we didn't just come here preaching. But we cared for you as a mother cares for her children. You know, a lot of us, we, we come from dysfunctional families. Amen, we got any of those in the house? And what happens is because we, we, we have grown up in a dysfunctional environment and we've learned all the wrong coping mechanisms, we, we come into the kingdom of God and we don't, we, don't, we don't trust nobody. You with me on that? Just lean, give me a hug today. 
what does he want from me? <laughs> Isaiah looked at me twice. Usually I only get one look. Isaiah, he didn't like me, I can tell. Right, we, we start looking around and we, we just get all kinds of weirdness in our relationships with each other. We, we don't get open with stuff. We start to become secretive. Because we don't trust other people to know our, our garbage, know our junk. We think that they're going to use it as ammunition against us, right? I mean, wasn't it like that the first time you ever shared your sin with somebody? Like in, the, in, in that Light and Darkness Bible study, you're like, for sure, for sure. Like, I'm going to get all vulnerable, and for sure they're going to use this against me. Like, they're going to post it on the Internet. They're going to send it all out to the publishing companies. They're going to publish it all over my social media account, and I'm going to give it to them, and they're going to turn around, and they're just going to fire and kill me with it. Right? That's why we get all secretive and we don't get open because we don't trust nobody. We stop taking advice or correction. You know why? Because we're, we're sure that they're after us. Isaiah, he, he discipled me again. He's just trying to, he's just jealous. He's just jealous. Jealous of my life. That's what it is. Right? He discipled me on my quiet times. It, it's because he wants a relationship with God like I have. Right? You with me on that? We get all suspicious of each other. And here's the one that really bothers me. We don't respond to phone calls. You know, it's like, it's like, bring, bring. Bring, bring. Bring, bring. What we see at church. You know how it is when you walk into church and you know you didn't get back to somebody? Hey, what's up, bro? Um, yeah, I know you called. Uh, so busy. So busy. I didn't even have 30 seconds to text you back. Not even 30 seconds in my schedule. I was that busy. But, but you know you know why you're a weirdo? I'm, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I'm calling you a weirdo if that's you. You know why you're weird like that? And I'm weird too like that. You know why? Because your, your perspective is all wrong. You're, you're so focused on other people loving you. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says go to church and make everybody else love you. It says you go love everybody else. You, you treat other people like Jesus treated you. You can't get suspicious with Jesus. He proved his love for us. He ain't got to do no more for our lives. But, but sometimes we go to church and we expect other people to love us. And so then we, we don't trust them. Because we're so worried that they ain't going to love us. Or they're not going to treat us right. Or they're going to do something hurtful against us. Am I resonating with us here this morning? Yeah. You know, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to say it like this. You need to start choosing to love someone like your mama. I mean, Paul did it. Look, I don't feel comfortable with that, bro. I can't love anybody like my mama. She's a female. Paul goes, no, 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 I loved you guys like your mama, like how she cared for you. As brothers, as sisters, we've got to love each other like a mom caring for her child. Let's go to our last point. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1. Our last point is you've got to love everybody and their mama. You gotta love everybody and their mama. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one. 
Paul says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust the reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier. That's an awesome scripture. That's not the scripture I want to go to. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I think the Lord just wanted you guys to hear that one too. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may be, live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know those two things go together? That salvation can't come unless someone has a knowledge of the truth? You ever meet somebody that's like, hey, when did you become a Christian? Oh, yeah, you know, it just kind of happened. <laughs> How did it happen? I don't know. It just kind of just oozed into it, you know. Just, I just woke up one day, and hey, I was a Christian. You know, I looked at myself in the mirror, like, hey, Christian, you're a Christian. That's not how it works. The Bible says that you've got to have a knowledge of the truth. But you know there's a lot of people out in the world today that don't have a knowledge of the truth. Well, they may know about Jesus, but they don't actually have the right picture of the scriptures, and of God. You know, very excitingly, and if you're joining us here today, we're, we're part of a movement that is all about evangelizing the entire world in our generation. And I was so encouraged. I was so encouraged. I watched the Good News Network video the other day. And as a movement, we have reached a new milestone throughout the world. So if you guys, if you guys watched the video, you'd know this. But as a church, as a movement, we have just surpassed 10,000 sold-out disciples. Isn't that awesome? We are now spread out into over 120 churches in 55 nations of the world in all six populated continents. Isn't that awesome right there? Truly God wants all men to be saved, and it's really up to us to teach the knowledge of the truth so that all men can be saved. Well, let's go to the end of this section, chapter 2, verse 13, and we'll close here. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But you go, yeah, but where was Adam? I mean, God spoke to Adam, not to Eve. But women will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. And all the young single women just got freaked out. Oh, my gosh. You know, this is, this is not teaching that in order to be saved, you got to have babies. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I mean, there's many, many awesome women in the Bible that did not have actual children. Peter's wife did not have any kids, most likely. Uh, Priscilla is not recorded as having kids. Mary, Martha, no kids. Y you guys get the idea. So you get what is this saying? Well, we know that when Eve sinned, childbirth already existed. That's what you know, a lot of people don't understand. Work already existed for Adam. The thing that came as a result of their sin was the pain involved in childbirth or the pain involved with work. So I don't know how it worked, but apparently when... Eve gave birth prior to the curse, prior to the fall. It didn't hurt. 
Wasn't that be awesome? You know, I, 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 was, I was struck, you know, even a couple weeks ago, Apple released this, this latest update that now has a pregnant man emoji. Yeah, there's a pregnant man emoji. emoji. And there's kind of a huge uproar amongst those that are have, you know, more of a conservative perspective. It's like, why would you put a, a, a pregnant man emoji in there? Obviously, that goes against all fact, reason, and biology. But, like, people are ticked off about it because they really want to be able to identify as a pregnant woman. I think that I'd just be willing to guess. I would, I would bet that the women would give that to the guys. Right? I, I mean, if, if guys really wanted to go through that, I've seen it. I don't want to, I wouldn't have wanted anything to do with it. I mean, women, you can give birth. You're awesome. You're awesome. Why? Why a guy would ever want to experience that, I don't understand. But here's my point. There's pain involved with childbirth, both physically and spiritually. You, you want to make spiritual babies? That sounds weird, doesn't it? You want to make spiritual babies? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> that sounds a little weird. I was writing that part of my lesson when I was watching UFC last night, so it might have had some influence. But it's true. There's pain involved in making spiritual babies. You want to baptize disciples? There's pain involved in that. It's hard. You got to go share your faith and there are people are ungrateful. Sometimes you get somebody that's grateful but not interested. They're like the worst people. You're like, thank you so much for stopping and, and sharing with me and giving me your time and and, and all the ideas that you presented, yeah, awesome. So you'd like to come on out? No. Well, what just happened? What just happened right here? But you know, more often than not, it's painful. It's hard. You got to invest your time. You got to invest your attention. You got to invest your effort, your emotion. You got to deal with all those crazy questions. Like, hey, what about like Revelation 14 when like the monster with 17 eyes came? I'm convinced it's my, my little brother. Right? And you got to answer all those crazy questions. You win that? But you know what's amazing? Is when you make spiritual babies, like a mom who's given birth, they never want to have another child again for two weeks. And then after two weeks, they're like, hey, baby. doesn't feel right just to have one baby. We want to have two kids. In fact, I was thinking about having a family of like 14. <laughs> Did I go too far? That's true. Women forget the pain of childbirth a couple weeks after they have babies. And, and, and it's true. When, when you experience the awesomeness of making a Christian, making a disciple, as much effort and attention and, and all that pain that you had to go through, isn't it so worth it? And then you go, let's go give birth. You know, today, the single sisters are going to have a baby. Amen? They're going to have a baby. 
And Christabel has been studying the Bible. They've been giving her their heart. They've been studying the Bible with her, helping her walk through all the situations and things that she needs to know. And now she's come to a knowledge of the truth. And so she is going to become your sister in Christ. Amen? What's the challenge for this morning? What's the challenge for this morning? Number one, I want to challenge you to love your physical mom. Love your physical mom. Appreciate your mom. Maybe you didn't even have a great mom. But she still did something for you that's awesome. She gave birth to you. Let's appreciate our physical mom. And let's love them so that we can love them into the kingdom of God like Jesus did. Number two, let's love our spiritual mamas. We got some awesome spiritual mamas in the church. And we've got to take the challenge that as spiritual moms to embrace the kids that God has given us in God's family. And as spiritual kids to embrace the mothers and the fathers that God has put in their life. Number three, let's love each other like your mama. Nobody loves more purely or more genuinely than a mama. And we've got to choose to love each other in the fellowship like a mom. And lastly, let's just love everybody and their mama. We, we want this message to not only ring out here in Toronto. We want this message to go to Ottawa. We want this message to go to Montreal. We want this message to go to Alberta, to get to, to BC, and all throughout the world. But the only way to spread the message is to love everyone, whether they're in the kingdom or outside the kingdom, and even try to love them into the kingdom of God. And so this morning, I hope you have a happy Mother's Day, and I hope you take care of your mama. God bless you all. young woman. She works in the cyber security industry. Yeah, so like smarts, you know. <laughs> but guys, Christabel's journey um, in discipleship started about two years ago, actually. She studied the Bible summer of 2020. 